0: Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're going to be talking with Dr. Chris Keel, who's a noted economist and joins us every month with the credit manager's index report that is issued by the National Association of Credit Managers. That's NACM.org if you'd like to go to their website. And Lou is the president of All Metals and Forge Group, which is the sponsor for Manufacturing Talk Radio. So for those of you who need seamless rolled rings, open-die forgings, and several metal families and a bunch of different alloys, steelforge.com is the website you should be visiting. Lou, this should be a very interesting show talking with Chris today. His report is probably as revealing as any that we've looked at. Uh, Without a doubt, with some slightly different
1: twists, Uh, so uh, without further ado, welcome Chris. To the show.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And and you're absolutely right. This month's Credit Managers Index was pretty stunning. Uh, We've been building to it for the last several months, so it didn't come completely out of nowhere. We have been watching some of these developments for a while. And just as kind of a primer for those who are not familiar with the CMI, uh, it is very similar to the Purchasing Managers Index, which a lot of people are familiar with. So it has the same basic structure, you know, the same diffusion index. So anything over 50 is considered expansion. Anything under 50 is considered contraction. What we get with the credit managers is a little bit of a forecasting tool simply because the nature of their business is to look into the future. These are the guys that are in charge of trade credit. So when you're out there trying to buy a machine or buying inventory or, or doing some kind of large purchase, you'll frequently go to that company and say, look, I want your machine, I want this product that you have, but I don't want to pay for it right away. I would like some time. I would like 30 days, 90 days, 120 days, 180 days. And then it's up to that company to decide if you are enough of a credit risk to give you that that." that live that flexibility. So the credit manager is always trying to look down the road. They're not too concerned with what your business is doing today. They're giving you the option to pay in months. And it's well where are you going to be in six months? Where are you going to be in nine months? So they're looking at your performance. They're also looking at the performance of the overall industry and they're looking at the economy as a whole. Because even if you're running your business very well if the economy collapses around you like it did in March and April of last year, well, you're not going to be able to pay your debts. And this is what is a concern to credit managers. So when their numbers start to come up, it's an indication that they are optimistic about what's happening months from now. The numbers that we saw this issue are in the high 60s and even into the 70s when it comes to the favorable categories. Favorable things from the credit manager's perspective, sales, applications for credit, dollar collections, amount of credit extended, those are all in the 60s and some of them even into the 70s, like sales. The non-favorables from the credit manager's perspective are things like rejections of credit applications, disputes, bankruptcies, slow pays, uh, accounts out for collection. Those were all in better shape as well. Now, they weren't as high as what you saw with the favorables, but they were all over 50, and some of them were even creeping up in the mid-50s. We were looking at 53s and 54s, none of them falling below 50. We haven't seen that for probably six years, seven years. Um, it goes all the way back to some of the recovery years after the Great Recession of 2008. So the conclusion is that credit managers are expecting a good year. And doesn't mean that they're clairvoyant. doesn't mean that they know something that the rest of us don't know. But they're reacting to the fact that Economic projections are good. Uh, Recovery is expected to be at least robust Um, as we go through the end of this year. We've still got several months of of crisis to wait our way through. But this this is solid news, and particularly when you twin it with some of the better numbers that are coming from the PMI. So as I was mentioning to Lou and Tim before we started this, as an economist, I'm actually not wearing black today. Um normally it's you know, black all the way and mumbling around the office going gloom, doom, despair and right now I'm almost optimistic. <laughs>
1: uh oh. Wow, that's shocking. Yeah, the key the key <laughs> operative word there is almost
2: that 's right that 's right we are we are never allowed to be unbridled optimistic. you know you lose your economist' union card immediately
1: <laughs> there, there's some interesting things uh, that uh, I keep on talking about, not necessarily on the air, but between Tim and I uh, talking about the the information that uh, the economists put out and all the various economists, you know, the credit managers, the PMI, mm-hmm. uh, BayPi, uh, IHS, and all the rest of them. And then there's my metals business, my forging company. And uh, it, it things are not consistent. It seems as though that different sectors have different ups and downs mm-hmm. and it's hard and of course mainstream media uh, really doesn't talk much about manufacturing, they probably talked more about manufacturing this past year than they have for the last 10 years combined, uh, you know we're the stepsister of the economy meanwhile we have a major um, uh, economic input in regards to the economy, but that point aside uh we find that we're, we're. This is good. This is good. This is getting better. This is becoming stable. We get the people out there saying, "Yeah, but where's my business? Where's my sale?" Mm-hmm. And I don't understand the difference, other than the fact that different people are reporting from different perspectives. Is that a, a well? That's statement? always
2: yeah. Yep, that's always the issue, because the challenge with any sort of economic data is that you can only look what people have chosen to measure, and oftentimes you see measurements of things because it's easier rather than that it's significant. Um, One of the things that has always biased uh, the economic analysis in the U.S. is that we're perceived as a service economy so we spend an awful lot of our energy measuring services and that's true up to a point but you mentioned that the media has been very slow to respond to manufacturing issues and doesn't cover it part of the challenge is that we don't even understand the role that manufacturing plays and i've been railing on this for years and you look at things like who's employed in manufacturing and it's a fairly low number And the reason for that is that the only people who are actually classified as working in manufacturing are people who are actually physically putting a part on something or building something. So if you take a company like Ford Motor Company and you say, well, the only people who are working in manufacturing are the ones who are on the assembly line. Well, all the other employees at Ford are like, excuse me? I work for a manufacturer. How am I not in manufacturing? Am I less important as a designer or a credit manager or a supervisor or any of the thousand other jobs here? Do you think Ford can function without me? They can't. So why aren't I in manufacturing? If you end up looking at who people work for, what companies they work for, almost 35% of the population works in manufacturing. And then if you look at the follow-on effect, for every person that's working on the line at Ford, there are 35 jobs that depend on that person. There's the person who sells the car, washes the car, fixes the car, insures the car. I mean, all of that, without the car, what's the guy that's selling the car going to do? I'm a car salesman, except there are no cars, so I'm apparently selling nothing. Oh yeah, well I I repair the non-existent car. Oh yeah, well I insure the non-existent <laughs> car. You know, it, it's all. It's, it, but we get so hung up on on the service thing, and it's it's it distorts the reality of the economy. And you're absolutely right that you have very different sectoral performances. You know, right now. It always kind of reminds me of the parable of the blind men and the elephant. You know, they're all holding a different part of the elephant, and they're like, yeah, it looks like this. No, it doesn't. Um, you're hanging on to the tail, and you're hanging on to the truck, and you're seeing very different things. If you're in aerospace right now, the world came to an end last year and hasn't recovered yet. I mean, the airlines are still suffering. If, on the other hand, you're in the business of manufacturing recreational vehicles, RV sales were off the charts last year. Never had they had a better year. And, so and still is like, going well, strong. And still going yes. strong because they're all saying, yeah. look, I, I can't stay in a hotel. I can't fly anymore. By God, I'm going to put the kids in the RV and we're going to drive around aimlessly and camp in Walmart parking lots. I mean, we know <laughs> what to <you> do.
1: <laughs> well, just for clarity's sake for our audience uh, referring back to how many people are in manufacturing according to the the, the sages, uh, there's 12 million people in manufacturing, uh, but that's only a mere fraction of the workforce, and yet oh, manufacturing yeah. represents 35% of our economy. So how does yeah. that number all work? It sounds yeah. contradictory.
2: Mean, it, it, it does, and it's one of those things where people are just not keeping up with the fact that, okay, that work on the line is now done predominantly by robots. But now you have people that built the robots and run the robots, and they're not considered in manufacturing because they're not putting apart. It's like, but I built the stupid robot. And, and I program the stupid robot. So how am I not in manufacturing? <laughs> so it's just one of these things where we all know this experience. This is the experience we frequently have trying to explain things to our elder aunts and uncles who are kind of like, I don't get it. It's like, I know, just eat your turkey and let's move on. So. <laughs> So where well, do you Chris, see
1: it going, uh, Chris? What's that? So where do you see it well, going?
2: Well, I think it's going to continue to improve. I mean, we've got these these big potential roadblocks, which there's just not a whole lot we can do about. The vaccine distribution is underway. It's slower than we would like it to be, but that's been the problem all over the world. Part of the problem is that it's it's not a coordinated national policy, and it really can't be. This has been left to the states and to the local communities, and some are doing a very good job. Some are not doing such a very good job, but it's a fairly daunting task. I mean, you're talking about trying to vaccinate at least 280 million people before you're dealing with real herd immunity. And, of course, the virus is is doing what viruses do. It's kind of like, hey, you know, I mutate. That's what I do for a living. And and it does. So every time you think you've got it, it begins to change, which we're familiar with. I mean, we know but forget that this is still a coronavirus. And coronaviruses are the same things that give us the seasonal flu. It gives us the common cold. And we know those things change constantly. And that's why we have to get a new flu vaccine every year. That's why we have different levels of protection every year, and we'll have the same issue with COVID. Fortunately, now that we have a core vaccine, we can kind of keep up with it by changing it, but it's it's not an easy battle. The big trade-off decisions are still going to be there. You know, when do businesses and companies and governments feel uh, that they can reopen and, and do what they used to do? When will consumers feel comfortable? I suspect that as the worst of the numbers begin to deteriorate, that the fatalities go down, hospitalizations go down, people will feel more easy about going back to their normal lives. And I think that will happen because the priority for the vaccine have been those who are most vulnerable. And as those begin to to get the vaccine and the deaths decline, then we start dealing with the fact that people are gonna get sick and they're not gonna like it and it's gonna be very uncomfortable but they'll survive it. And then people start to say, Okay, I'll take my chances, I want to go out to eat again, I want to go to the movies again, I want to go on vacation again. But we have to we have to wait and see. You know, people say they do. We'll see what happens when the stuff actually opens.
1: Has the uh, COVID virus uh, affected the uh, robotics industry? Only indirectly.
2: Um, It has affected predominantly the supply chain for robotics. I mean, that's something that is probably going to linger uh, through the year. And we've seen shortages in chips, and we've seen shortages in all kinds of equipment that's coming from that global supply chain you know right now the port congestion in the United States is just ridiculous because there's been problems with labor getting sick and the ports are crowded and things are not getting shipped on time well, that affects those that are putting robots together. It affects people who are buying the robots. But once they're in place, no, they're not particularly effective. But they're kind of like, yep, we don't we don't get COVID. We also don't, you know, party on the weekends, and and rarely do we argue with our spouses. I mean, we're just robots. So.
0: Yeah, clearly it's uh, an interesting. Uh, time in our lives as uh, no one predicted the pandemic, and now as it rolls through, uh, Lou's question is interesting because it's going to start having these interesting ripple effects as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, A a little off the topic, but something that was reported yesterday, and obviously I cannot do government math, for which I am (laughs) thankful You you may be better at it uh you i'm just watching have
2: the, the gdp reality that's all
0: oh, okay. <laughs> right well i'm looking at the monthly gdp numbers for 2020 when they reported that gdp for the year was down 3.5% but if i do the if i add the quarterly numbers together i'm sure that's not the way they do it um uh, they have some other magic formula uh, I get a, about a 1% positive GDP. I have no clue at this point how they compute <laughs> GDP. <laughs> yeah,
2: it is. it seems that it would be simple, but that's one of the problems with, with having a complex economy. It is supposed to be just a, an accumulation of the goods and services that are produced in the United States. However trying to count services can be really challenging. You know, when it comes to manufactured output, it's relatively easy. You know, you've got so many parts and you made them, and therefore it's part of GDP. But it's trying to compute what is being produced from a service side, and it becomes a job of estimates. You're looking at at output per person, and, you know, what exactly is output per person for a restaurant server you know how many plates of food do you bring out you know it's not necessarily easy to measure by the hour i mean it's just there's a lot of guesswork and and you end up with numbers that don't quite add up don't quite behave the way you think they would because you're you're making some estimations and so that's the main reason that you get these two and three and four interpretations of GDP. The numbers we just saw, that's the first blush. We'll see another revision in a couple of weeks. We'll see another revision in a couple of months. We'll see another revision in about a year where we go back and look <laughs> at the numbers and say, oh, look, you know, we actually did less. No, we did more. <clears throat> well, we did more and less. We did less more than we did of the more less. It's like, okay, we have new numbers, you know, what happened now? I have no idea. We'll revise it again and try later. So
1: Well Chris, isn't it simple as taking four quarters, add them up, divide by four, and then add a factor of who knows, of two yeah, Exactly. Three or minus two. Isn't that the way they do it?
2: Absolutely. You just you know, you just carry the hypotenuse or the hippopotamus and you got it. So. <laughs>
0: I think this is like short-selling and our understanding of that for us. <laughs> Yeah, I,
2: we were just talking about that all day yesterday. People were trying to get me to explain short-selling, and I said, you do realize I'm an economist. And I start off my description by saying, this is the most ludicrous way of making money known to man. Um, but if you really want to try to play in that world, you're okay you know it's like you borrow then you sell then you buy back to give back to the person you borrowed from because they didn't sell it when you thought you might want to sell it and then then the person you sold it to wants to borrow it back from the person you borrowed it I mean, it's like
1: what
0: <laughs> so it's
1: it's yeah well that makes sense it Yeah, makes yes, sense. I, always I thought it thought so, I understand it. that's where yeah, I got out of the stock market
2: yeah, to me, it, it makes about as as much sense. And I figure, like, the day that I understand the rules of cricket are the days that I'll understand investing. You know, it's like, okay, it, the guy just hit a ball and scored 1,000 points. What? <laughs> how, how can a game go on for five days? You know, it's like, just just stop at some point and say, you know, it's, 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 it's whatever. But um, yeah. the only thing Take I really baseball. know about critics is you got to wear white, you know, so. Oh, wow,
0: so true. Well, now we're into 2021, Chris, and we've been talking for, you know, October, November, December, because of the pandemic, what does 2021 look like and what if Trump and what if Biden and now some of those are known. What does 2021 look like? Does anybody know?
2: <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's going to be better uh, than 2020. We have a handle on a lot of the issues that were vexing us last year. Even politically, we're beginning to get a little bit of an insight into what it is to expect under the Biden administration. The most interesting. Political development, I guess, and this is what I've been hearing from a lot of the pundits, is that for the first time in probably 20, 25 years, we actually have a center. There's a dead tie in the Senate, which means that those who are able to kind of shift from party position to party position have an inordinate amount of power, because you've got four or five Republican senators that are more moderate, more liberal, You've got four or five Democratic senators that are more conservative. So all of a sudden, there's a lot of power in the hands of people like Mitt Romney and Susan Collins and Ben Sass and Lisa Murkowski on the Republican side. Then on the Democratic side, you've got people like John Tester and Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema who don't. Work in lockstep with their own party. And that creates a block of about eight to ten senators who just sit there and say, you know, nothing that either one of you wants to do is going to happen without us behind you. It's kind All of right. like those European parties. I mean, it, it reminds me of Germany, where you've got the Christian Democrats on one side and the Social Democrats on the other. But if you don't have the Free Democrats, on your side who can go either way, you don't get anything accomplished. You know, the free Democrats have like 5% of the Bundestag, very small. They're like, yep, but it's the critical 5%. <laughs> so it ends up changing the dynamic and keeps us from going off in really weird directions because it's sort of an automatic break on on the exuberances of either party.
1: Well, that's our and does that conversation being that we don't talk politics? Uh, <laughs> make
2: sure. Well, you know, we we, we don't talk and we just complain about it. Um, and and we'll still have plenty, a, plenty to complain that's about.
0: That's a great
1: point. We don't talk about it. We just complain about it. I like that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. So I I think that we'll see some bigger efforts being made. But again, if you look at, at the initial intent, and who knows where this goes, even when it's come down to things like the climate change, it's a lot of incentive-based stuff as opposed to regulatory barriers. And I don't know if that's going to last. I suspect that a lot more regulations are going to start promulgating but you take for example the the statements on climate change already so it was kind of a big deal we we are not going to go forward with the keystone pipeline well that's very good because that project died six years ago um not really a big accomplishment there um but even things like the electric cars it's like we're not gonna ban fossil fuel cars but we're going to have the government buy a bunch of electric vehicles. And if that happens, then all of a sudden, well, now you're going to have charging stations because if the government is driving the damn things, then they have to charge them. And if they open up the charging stations to the ordinary public, which they will, then now somebody can actually buy one and say, wow, this is great. I get to drive it longer than its first charge. So, which is people are like, you know, like, what do I do when the battery runs out? Well, you now live there. Um, So (laughs) it's all of that is kind of incremental, um, but it's 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 kind of positive at this stage. It's not again, it's early days, and we don't know how all of this is going to play out by the time it gets through the grist mill of Congress, but. I'm being hopeful. I'm in one of those moods. Yeah, that's
1: uh, the CMI was up. <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. It's, inter- you know, it's, it's like- interesting. It's interesting in that. Uh, our economy, and, and I believe this wholeheartedly, uh, based on uh, things that Tim and I have been doing with regards to manufacturing talk radio, and that is that we have a technology-driven economy, and right. not a not a hundred percent yet. But for example, I had a uh, interview this morning with a company in Germany uh, who will be on our show at, at uh, some point, who is involved in. Um, a wireless transfer of energy, where no cables, no charging stations, and in the roads they will have, like a, at every traffic light, there's going to be a platform under the ground. And while you're sitting mm-hmm. at the traffic light for a minute, the car is going to charge, and right. highways, and so on, and that's coming very quickly. Um, the General Motors, you, I'm sure you heard the story yesterday about GM, who is going to be canceling the uh, internal combustion engine uh, by 1935, uh, 2035. I'm in the wrong century. Uh, 2035. <laughs> that, uh, that could be the kiss of death for oil and gas and coal and all of that.
2: Oh, I mean, it's you can see the, the progression of this thing because even the big oil companies have been rebranding themselves energy companies for years now. You know, they're, yeah. they're sort of still seen as oil companies, but they're like, uh, no, if there's money to be made in electrics, we'll do that. If, if if the new innovation is every car has a sale on it, you know, we'll get into that. Um, it's, it's We're just trying to make money. Those <laughs> ideas were developed quite a while ago. There was a company in Kansas City, for example, that – was positing that if you really wanted to get electrics off the ground, you would put charging capability on all the interstates. And so as you're driving along, almost like when you used to have the streetcars with the masts up in the air, only this would be done wirelessly because the limiting factor for the electrics was always range. But if they can recharge as they're driving down the interstate, 90% of the population lives within 10 miles of an interstate exit so there's innovation coming at a very rapid clip and it'll do it like it always has you know one day you'll wake up and it's like wow suddenly I can do this nobody would have predicted what the cell phone turned into I mean, in the beginning, oh, this is a business tool that only businessmen will use to communicate with one another. (laughs) No, it's going to be revolutionized by 12-year-old girls. I mean, let's just deal with reality.
1: (laughs) Chris, I recall when I was was a kid, I used to read Popular Science and Popular Technology magazine. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I must have been in my teens, which was about 50 years ago. Uh, there was an article about the interstate highway system that was going to put in cables alongside the highway, and your car was going to charge as you're driving along. Well, Mm -hmm. we're almost there, and that was 50 years ago. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, you were really popular Yep, when you were reading in Popular Mechanics, I was watching the Jetsons, and I knew that was coming. Um, So we're almost there as well.
0: Are you saying (laughs) I'm older than
1: you are?
2: (laughs) Only slightly.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gentlemen, it's been fun. Uh, Chris, if uh, you'd like to kind of wrap up for our audience, anything you want to throw in, please do. (laughs)
2: All right, I guess my my wrap up comment was, "If you have a bottle of champagne lurking in the back of your refrigerator, go ahead and pop it. This has been a good month, and I think we can expect some better months to come. Not that all of our problems have disappeared, but it seems like we are on the upside of that v recession, and I think that things get steadily better." Little bumps here and there, but I'm, I'm optimistic. We'll see. Next month, I'll probably be back to my all-black.
1: When we go Zoom, and uh, by the way, for our audience, we are going uh, Zoom, uh, where we're going to have uh, audio shows and audio-video shows in the same show. So, we'll be able to see your black with white socks or <laughs> black socks with shorts, however you want yeah, exactly. to show
2: it. Exactly. Well, see, yeah, that's, so, that's the beauty of Zoom. No one will ever know what you're wearing under the, below the waist. I mean, you know, it's like true. pajama sales have gone ballistic because, you know, n- none of us are seen in our totality <laughs> anymore.
0: Well, unless you're yeah. a commentator on uh, one of the major news channels, and the, the camera moves unexpectedly. It costs you your job. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You
2: know, rule of thumb, do not leap up to get a cup of coffee. Uh, think, think think, before you stand up.
0: <laughs> Don't spill a hot cup of coffee in your lap and cause yourself to leap that's up. True. That's well, that,
1: true. That only affects you if you've gone commando. Yeah, that's <laughs>
2: And, and with that image on, on our minds, we're going to just wait until next month. <laughs>
1: Good to <see> you, Chris. <laughs> It's
0: always a pleasure.
2: Thanks. Talk to you soon. Take Bye. care,
0: Chris. Stay, stay, stay up. <laughs> We've been speaking with Dr. Chris Keel from Armada Corporate Intelligence, who does a lot of uh, economy work for uh Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, the Forging Industry Association, and several others. So he's always got great insights, and the CMI report from the National Association of Credit Managers is terrific. A little fun conversation with Chris as always today. <laughs> yeah, he's got a great sense of humor. Um, it, it's uh, it, it keeps me
1: on it keeps me sharp listening to his uh, wisdom and uh, uh, his humor. So uh, we enjoy having him on. Uh, if anybody has any questions for Chris, you can always send an email to us, and we'll be happy to relate it.
0: Be happy to, and while you're online, please go to jacketmediaco.com where you will find links to this show, Manufacturing Talk Radio, as well as Women in Manufacturing, another podcast about women in business and industry. Fascinating shows there. Uh, the New Jersey MEP Manufacturing Extension Partnership has launched a new show with us called Manufacturing Partnerships. Manufacturing Partnerships. Making waves, making waves, and John Kennedy is great at making waves. John doesn't hold back. Uh, he is a great advocate for manufacturing, as long as well as where's Willie, who's uh, out there in the field talking to us from production floors and hazard girls. We've got a bunch of shows uh, lined up. You got to just go to Jacket Media Co. and keep up, folks. And thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio.
1: Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top
1: business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.